Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Wedding anniversary on Tuesday. um, Not a special one in the sense of, um, you know, 40 years or or 50 years or anything else. Um, 36 years, although, of course, you'll know the old joke about that, that you would get less time in Berlin for uh, life imprisonment than 36 years of of marriage. Um, But it was a special day for us. We were able to celebrate it in a way perhaps normally we don't because we're working or other things are happening. And so we spent um, Tuesday in Streza on Lake Maggiore. We went in the public bus. That caused some amusement from the the restaurant owner that we were having dinner with in the evening or uh, sitting in his restaurant that we went in the bus, but we went in the bus and we had a beautiful day. We went away up on top of the mountains, uh, up to four and a half thousand feet, not walking, I hasten to add, but on a a lift, uh, one of these, um, not chair lifts and, and, you know, cabin things that could take up into the air. We were right way up there. And we also went across the lake to one of the islands um, where a beautiful Baroque palace um, has been built, actually. It's a place where some well-known people have been. Even Princess Di was there with Charles way back in the 1980s. Um, a beautiful place to see. So we had a lovely day. We saw a beautiful part of, of the countryside here in Italy, and we were able to spend time celebrating our anniversary. And we, we went to bed at night, and I went to sleep as is normal. Um, and I had dreams, two dreams. Right? Both dreams woke me up. Now, some might say it was too much cheese in my dinner um, or, or whatever. Um, but, well, I don't think so. Um, I'll tell you what they were. The first one woke me up. I can't tell you the details, um, but um, it was to do with the, the COVID situation. We had heard probably that evening. That's probably what went to my mind. We had heard that evening. We had been watching on on on, on this tablet uh, um, our first minister giving her talk um, her daily talk um, and telling us or telling the folks in Glasgow and Dubarnshire and East Revershire that they were going to have to not be able to socialise in each other's homes uh, and just that awareness of course of of, of uncertainty and, and, and the first dream as I say that woke me up, I can't give you the details but I can uh, still imagine, I still feel in a sense what it was like, it was like walls coming in, four walls coming in, pressing in uh, and, and it woke me up, that sense of perhaps foreboding that sense of oppression and and restriction and, and just just the all that goes with that and that woke me up. The second dream I went back to sleep. The second dream was actually a lot different, very different in many ways. It, it was set. I can actually tell you the setting. It was in Newton Farm across from the River Clyde, that area of you housing that you know we've had some connection with, or I've had some connection with, and to do with Andrew Brown. And I was inside the church that sits there. It's been not been a church for fifty years and more. It's been a joinery shop, but. Here we are. I was buying the church and building off the joinery business that was closing down. And I was there with some other people, some younger people, some younger men. And we were looking around at how we would reconvert this building back into a community hub and somewhere where the worship of God and the witness of the gospel could go out into that parish area of of two and a half thousand homes, a, a large area. Um, two very different dreams. One quite oppressive, quite dark, quite depressing in many ways, um, quite restrictive, and one, well, I'm not going to buy a church building, whatever cost it is, um, but one where mission, where outward looking, where new beginnings, a fresh start, you know, where there's, there's, there's hope. Um, two very different dreams all in the one evening. As I say, some people would say I had too much cheese. 
Others would say, as the, as the Peter, the Apostle Peter said in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when he was up preaching and he, people were saying, you must be drunk or whatever. And he, of course, he said, no, it wasn't that. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then, then this is what he says. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young Young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And perhaps particularly at the moment, we need to dream some dreams. We have dreams of things that are discouraging, perhaps, concerns or whatever else. Perhaps we're lacking in dreaming positive dreams, dreams of new beginnings, dreams of hope, dreams of growth, dreams of reaching out, dreams of seeing God's kingdom be reestablished and be advanced. That's why, of course, we need the Bible. That's why God's word has been given to us, to be able to discern what's going on round about us. That's why we need the mind of Christ. We've spoken about in the past, the work of the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. So we begin to have the mind of Christ and see things and have understanding about things with Christ-centered and Christ-focused eyes. How apt that opening song is. And we do thank Graham for his choice of songs over these many, many weeks, over these last five, nearly six months. How much they've helped us to focus our eyes upon Jesus, who is the eternal word who is the one who supremely speaks his word of hope and of life into situations. Well, we need the Bible to help us to do that. And particularly the stories of the Old Testament help us to do that because they're stories of real people in real times and real situations. We're going to be looking at next Sunday, particularly we're going to be looking at the big story. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open that up to the book of Judges. And next Sunday, I have already recorded it, but I'll probably redo it live in a sense and fresh for you next week. But next Sunday, we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 7, the well-known story of Gideon defeating the Midianites. But I just want to give a wee brief introduction this morning by looking at Judges chapter 6. I'm going to read a few verses from Judges chapter 6. And so I encourage you to open your Bibles, the Old Testament, to the book of Judges chapter 6 in these verses. Verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And when the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. 
The book of Judges, of course, is the story of what happened to the people of Israel, to that gathering of various tribal groupings, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, that gathering of what happened to them when they entered into the land of Canaan. That whole generation of people who had seen what God had done, his mighty acts of deliverance, as is referred to here, from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors, that whole generation had died out. Joshua and Caleb, that whole generation had died out. And the generation of those who entered into the land and saw God's provision of opening up the water so they were able to enter into the land of the fall of Jericho and all the other things that happened, that whole generation had gone. And the book of Judges is about what happens. And it's a bit of a story of boom and bust, a bit like the situation we are in the country at the present time. With one minute an advancement, we think of the restrictions and everything else, and the next minute some clawback because of what's happening. And it was a bit like that with Israel, but in a spiritual state. And we're told they did evil in the eyes of the Lord continually, continually. They, they, there was an ebb and flow. One minute or at least one period under one of the judges, people like Gideon, Samson, um, others, Deborah, other people, God raised up leaders who helped Israel to refocus on God, to fix their eyes upon the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And when they did that, then things worked out and they prospered and the land was secure. But as we are all want to do, when that season, that period passed, their eyes began to focus on things round about them, either how well they were doing or how dire things were. And very easily they began to turn away from God. Indeed, they don't just turn away from him. They began to worship other gods. If you read on in chapter six, you see they set up idols to the pagan gods round about, the gods of nature. They worshipped, as Paul tells us in Romans, created things rather than the creator. And that's true in all of us. That, that fallen nature that we have causes us to want to worship something but we either worship God, the living God, who's revealed himself in Jesus, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, or we worship man-made, human-made things, things that we've made, our philosophies, our ideas, or we allow the, the situation round about us to so crowd in that we lose sight of God and simply become caught up with ourselves. And unfortunately, that's been the experience of many people, including many professing Christians, over this time of crisis with COVID in our own country. And so things weren't good. In fact, we're told that they were, they were very much under pressure. They had to go up and hide in the hills and, 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 and make little caves for themselves, mountain clefts, um, the, because the Midianites, one of the people who had been displaced from the land but not dealt with completely, they were still hanging about, round about. They took every opportunity they can to reclaim the territory that they had once lived in. And you can understand, in a sense, why they want to do that. This was their territory before the Israelites came, and so they were going to reclaim it. And so they took the chance and they did it very well. We're told they impoverished the Israelites. And then, and only then, did they cry out to the Lord. And that's so true, isn't it? Things so easily enter back in. Our secret sins, our fears, our concerns, the circumstances round about us, that it, with an eye of faith is seen as relatively small, suddenly becomes big and daunting. And, 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 and we've spoken so often about we're filled with fear and concern. And these things crowd in, a bit like the walls that I dreamt about crushing in on people. So these things easily begin to reclaim territory within our souls and hearts and minds. And we see that within our society and our so-called Christian country in the past 
it was never 100% Christian, but certainly for Christian values and the basis of our legal situation and professions and everything else was at least there, how easily that's being undermined and being eroded and a whole host of other things are encroaching in and robbing our country and robbing our culture of the very foundations that gave us the liberties and the freedoms that we once enjoyed. All of that happens, and that happens within the life of the church, the church of Jesus Christ. It's a bit like the boom and bust, a bit like Israel. We have times when the church is renewed and revived and very vibrant, and times when the church is quite oppressed and, as I say, marginalized. It certainly was the case here. Israelites were marginalized, were forced out into the corners. And in many ways in Britain today, that's the story of the church, marginalized, barely relevant to the vast majority of people, and, and, and really not counted when it comes to discussing important decisions that have to be made concerning our country. But we're told, we're told that the Israelites cry to the Lord. This is the great truth that I was speaking about, or we made mention at the beginning with the Psalms. This is the God who still hears and cares for his people, even though we are weak and, and, and fallible and we are boom and bust as people. Yet God heard their cry. He sent them a prophet. The prophet told them, the mess you're in is because you did not focus upon me. You're, in a sense, reaping the fruit of your waywardness. But yet, read on. Look at what he says. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak and Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Bezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And Gideon went in prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. And with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. And when Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it stands in opera of the Bezerites. You know, I like the story. I, I, I love these Old Testament stories. You know, we often think, well, well, what can we do about situations? We, we, we are curtailed. We are surrounded. We are marginalized. We feel ourselves that we've kind of drawn into our own hearts. And that's been one of the, the effects psychologically in many of us, including, I have to say, I, I'm aware, many within our own congregation. Our whole world has shrunk down. We've been locked 
down into the situation. But God hears and knows the situation. And despite the fact that it's human folly often that's caused the circumstances we are in, this virus didn't just happen. It was because of things that happened in China, whatever. We don't know. We probably never know. But it's because of human folly that so many of these things happen in the world and so many things happen to our life. God still remembers his people. He sends a prophet. He speaks into the situation. And how vital that is as Christians and as the church, we should be prophetically speaking into the situation we face in our society and within our communities. God speaks a word of warning, a word of rebuke, but also a word of promise. He sends this angel, an angel or the Lord himself, Jesus Christ. There can be debate about that, but certainly the Lord appears. He sends his messenger and the angel of the Lord appears and Gideon, well, Gideon's just an ordinary guy getting on with his work. He's having to do this job because he's fearful of the Midianites. Any minute they're going to come and pinch his wheat. And so he's having to do it in secret. But God comes to the secret places. He meets with us in the places of fear, the places of pressure, the places of poverty, spiritual and emotional as much as physical and material. And he speaks his word. The Lord is with you, mighty Warrior. Well, that's certainly, let's be honest, as you read the story, and we're not going to read the whole story this morning, but as you read the story, Gideon, certainly in chapter six, doesn't necessarily appear as a mighty warrior. He's just an ordinary guy. In fact, he's not even one of the leading tribes. He says that. I'm from the least of, of the tribes. I'm from the tribe of Manasseh, which was, a, which was the descendants of Joseph. So they were kind of on the edge, you might say, of Israel. So he wasn't one of the main, you know, tribe of Judah or anything like that. He was on the periphery. In many ways, he was a nobody. And yet, as we've said so often, God delights in taking that which is nothing in order that his power and his glory might be revealed, in order that he might use that which appears to be nothing or that person who's in many ways a nobody, but God takes the nobodies and makes them somebody in his kingdom. And the Lord meets with Gideon, and you see how graciously he deals with him. He doesn't zap him. He could do that. Gideon becomes aware. He's met with the Lord, the angel of the Lord. He should really be struck down, dead. And yet the Lord doesn't. We're told at the very end that he accepts the sacrifice, and he says, the Lord says to him in verse 23, peace, do not be afraid. Does that not remind us of Jesus standing in the upper room, facing his disciples who had messed up big time, who had let him down, who had been locked into that upper room and all the things around about that. And Jesus stood with the very marks of his passion on his hands and his body. And what was the first thing he said? You bunch of losers, wasters. No, the very first thing he said was, peace be with you. And the Lord meets with Gideon and leads Gideon through and read on this morning well, or some other time, the rest of chapter six, so that next week you'll know the story and the background to chapter seven. He meets the, the whole story of what happens, the, the fleece that Gideon puts out at the very end of chapter six. And he gives Gideon a little job to do, a task to do in a sense, to build up his faith. He's got to go down and basically pull down the totem pole that's been built in his village that's dedicated to the god Baal. And Gideon does that with some of his pals, but does it as night because he's frightened of his family and doesn't want to be seen and so he does it secretly god meets with him in his fears in his weakness notice what he says go in the strength you have and save israel out of midian's hand and gideon says but how can i save israel and the lord says but i will be with you 
Gideon had to learn that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who had brought his people out of Egypt by his mighty hand, that the Lord hadn't abandoned his people, but actually was with his people and his patience and his mercy and his peace and his power was going to be made available. And that allowed Gideon to be that mighty warrior, not himself. Nothing within himself particularly would have made him a mighty warrior. He certainly wouldn't have been recognized as a mighty warrior. But in him, in his weakness, God's strength was made perfect. And others began to recognize that and respond to that and follow that. And next Sunday, we'll see how mightily he used Gideon to do a great victory and have a great victory. But Gideon came and God met with him and took him with all his concerns and fashioned him, taught him new things. He learned a new thing about God, that God is a God of peace, the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keeping our hearts and minds fixed in the love and in the knowledge of him. How we need that. We can so easily become anxious. We can so easily become fearful. We can easily look around at even our own little fellowship and think, well, how are we ever going to get out of this mess? And how are we ever going to move on? How are we ever going to reclaim territory like Newton Farm or Erdingston or anywhere else for the kingdom when we're all locked in and when we can't do this or that or another? We need to have those eyes, those eyes that Gideon began to develop, that mind that Gideon began to develop to believe and to know that with all, all things are possible with those who believe, not in themselves, not in their abilities, but in the God, the God who delivered his people, the God who was going to do a mighty work through Gideon, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said in Jesus that he would build his church and not even the gates of hell would prevail against it. That's the tremendous story that we find in the Bible. We find in the Old Testament. We find in the story of Gideon. And it's these old, yes, Sunday school stories that maybe we've heard many years before that we need to ask the Spirit of God to re-engage with, to stir up our minds and hearts with, and to give us so uh, th that dream. So that instead of feeling the walls crushing us down, we stand metaphorically in a building and begin to see what God can do and how things can change. That was very much my impression. The first dream, the second dream, let's go for it. How we need God to fill us with dreams, to stir our hearts, and to, like Gideon, help us to grow in our knowledge of how big and how mighty God is. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your promise that young men will have visions and old men will dream dreams. We thank you that you're the God who meets with your people, weak and fragile as we are, often marginalized by so many things. And yet we thank you for your renewing grace. We thank you for your mercy and forgiveness. We thank you that you're a God of peace, that you make it possible for us to have peace with you, a holy God, because in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, you have accepted that sacrifice and opened the way for our people to come to know you. 
We thank you for these gospel truths, and we thank you for their relevance today. We thank you that you call us as Christians, and especially as the church, to speak your word into our contemporary society, that word of the prophet made most sure. Stir our hearts with expectation and enable us all to dream dreams, not cause dreams that are not caused by too much cheese, but dreams that are inspired by you and will become a reality in your time and in your way, all for the glory and honor of Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.